she's the villain in the new video game Animal Double Crossing, Franny Choi. And their abolitionist definition make them boys go woke-o, Danette Smith. And you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. Hi, Danette. Hey, Franny. You look so cute. Oh, in my pajamas, in my purple yeah. pajama state. Yeah, I like, I like, you know, I, I've been, I've been trying to appreciate everybody's home fashions, home fits, Ooh. you know, uh, house, my grandma. House fits? House fits. In yeah. fits? Ooh. Like in fits, but mm-hmm. in fits. Yeah. In fits. In fits. <laughs> which is, which is what I also call when I just have a tantrum on the inside. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> just, just cry and scream on the inside and then yeah. go on your day. Yeah. That's fit. also an it fit. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, little infants, you know, like uh, my grandma's been looking kind of cute when I go see her. She's like, she's gotten tired of the moo-moos and she's putting on like slightly nicer house dresses. So I'm like, okay, look at everybody like being cute and distanced, you know? Yes. Uh, Yeah. What has has been your um, top house fit so far? Like Hmm. best outfit, like best dressed for the house, for the couch. Okay. Well, the most common is dangerous. It's me looking at a t-shirt and saying scissors would help that. Um. <laughs> I have noticed, did you take this tank top that you're currently wearing and cut it into a crop top? Yeah, it's a famous, I love this tank top. And then I looked at it one day and I said, scissors would help that. And I made it into a tank. This is what happens every summer is that I leave with no shirts and only crop tops. Um I always like looking like I'm dressed for all situations. Like if like a lover comes out of nowhere, I like look cute enough. Or if like if a lover if, like, comes out of nowhere, yeah, kind of, like, you, we live different lives. You never know when somebody's gonna knock on your door and have the wrong address, and that's your soulmate. And so you want to be dressed for that, and for like comfort, and for cleaning, and for like running to the store real quick. And so like it's always like a long sleeve crop top with shorts that are technically underwear. And that has been my best infit because because it always just makes you feel like I'm wearing my boyfriend's shirt, even though I'm the one who purchased it from Forever Twenty One. <laughs> right, right, right. right, right. <laughs> I'm know? my own boyfriend. I am my own boyfriend. And I'm shirt. Wearing so, his yeah, shirt. and I got my little panties, you know. And I'm just like, I always feel like ready for my own little like fantasy when I'm wearing that. Yeah, no, that's good. That's like it's very like flash dance. Yeah, um, it's like who who what girl are you when you're at home? You know. So what have you been wearing? Um, well, I feel like I've been taking some liberty with mixing patterns, which Ooh. has been nice, you know, because I've just been like, nobody's going to see me. Let me let me see if it's nice to wear these like very colorful 90s pattern shorts with this like graphic tee. And the answer is usually like, no, it does not really work. But like every time I look, you know, walk past the mirror, I get to point at myself and go, <laughs> You tried, you know, so that's nice. That's have fun. you have you have you had any happy accidents? <laughs> like, have any infits turned into possible outfits? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. You know, I feel like it's part of my craft to like give myself some space to experiment. You know, mm-hmm. to like kind of like try to find the outer limits of like what um yeah etc etc. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've tried. Um, I I did a reading where I had um one of those shirts where you like um just button the top button and then let it all flap down like it's like a cape like it's like your shirt is a cape um but i also have been i've been sewing some of my own clothes you know i think probably my best infits have been like this skirt that i made and these pants that i made i've been making some lounging clothing so yeah 
I love all your logic. And I love your cape. I love your... I, you deserve a cape. And you know who else deserves a freaking cape? Ariel Marie deserves a cape. Uh, Very good point. A seamless transition to an extremely good point, Dinesma. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Four <laughs> seasons of transitions in this bitch. Uh, <laughs> but no, Ariel, we got to talk to Ariel Marie. And I'm first like saw Ariel as a youth poet at B&B many moons ago. And they were part of like like a, like a resurgence of the Atlanta uh, team that was like really refreshing. And I remember like them doing poems that I was just like, these kids are like doing poems that like make me blush and are also really good. And who paid these like 27 year olds to look small? <laughs> um, and it's been so fun to watch Ariel crystallized into this person where from everywhere they stand from, from their art, from their activism, um, it still has that brash spirit, that embrace of the body, um, that care and that ferocity that fights for her people. Um, Ariel is just one of my favorite poets. Uh, they're the best. I don't know. When I look at Ariel, I just like feel peace, you know? Oh. How beautiful. Yeah, I feel peace and hope. Um, Ariel Marie is an essayist, poet, and activist hailing from the Deep South. She received invitations to fellowships from Lambda Literary, Vona Voices, and Tin House. Her work is featured or forthcoming in The Guardian, Allure Magazine, Adroit Journal, Vital Poetry, Tri-Quarterly, and Vote. She is the 2019 winner of the Plowshares Emerging Writer Award in Poetry and a Lambda Literary Emerging Writer-in-Residence. Ariel writes and speaks about Blackness, Bodies, pleasure and pop culture from a black feminist lens follow her at yes ariel y'all we are so excited to get into this interview with ariel let's get into it she will start us off with a poem pantoum for ayana and not a hashtag in sight look there go a black girl body still tethered to her head there go a black girl, shirt still dry. No river of marrow or tears flowing from her head. No bile following her up the block. Can we call her into form? Not a river of marrow and small tears of sweaty fabric, but manna and honeysuckle. From her head, not bile, but beatniks in bloom. Can we celebrate the child on this side of the grass? Her sweat Fabric, honeyed and unmanned, the girl young, a fresh world of gardenia blooming. When we celebrate, the child's on this side of the grass. Open a window and usher in a new god like a breeze. Gardenia young, the girl, a world made fresh. In her hands, piano keys, sticks of cinnamon gum, a window into the novel. God like an usher opening a psalm, free to be the thing she was truly made of. Piano keys. In her hands, cinnamon sticks like guns in the wrong light. Never mind that. Today she lives, a thing to be freed, made of psalms and truly holy. The girl will turn flowers into wine, spills herself no more wrong, and today she lives. Never mind light like a summer halo offering. It's a myth that we die anyway. We too holy. No more spills. No more flowers. From wine, girl churns herself a will, rises from the concrete, her arms full of clove, her mother's yard, her throne. Anyway, the myth is that we die. We too summer. We offer halos like birds on our shoulders. 
shoulders. The girl, Gardenia, and we planted her full of clove and her mother. She raises a throne from the concrete, a yard of arms. The girl, a god king. The girl, a map of good things. The girl, a young worth trending. After all, just look. Ariel, oh my goodness. Hey. Thank you for thank you for that poem. Oi. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know what's amazing about that poem? One thing that I could not stop thinking about was the way a pantoum often makes me feel like I'm like stuck in time, like stuck in a situation. But that one was just just moved us through and like progressed into like a more and more free vision. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just blown away. I'm blown away by that poem. Thank you so much for reading that poem to us. Thank you. I've been thinking about Ayana just as we've been, you know, um, out here hollering Brianna Taylor's name too. Um, and what it means, you know, for these black girls to get killed in their own homes. And I'm really appreciative of that poem right now because I'm thinking about how we lose the joy of people's lives when we mourn them, right? Um, or the joyful possibility of their names, which I think that poem really gets to, right? Um, I was so moved one day. I haven't been on Twitter for a, lo- a little minute now. But before I got off of there, they were sharing pictures just like Brianna Taylor, like, just being herself, you know? Um, and she was like, she was a goofy yeah. one, you know? She looked like, you know, just the girl. Like, like you know, like she was down for the outfit. You know, she was down for the holiday yes. party. She was down for yes. whatever. She was down to have a good time. And so, uh, just, I, I guess I'm just like, yeah, amen in your poem once again, just for having those moments of like, when we forget, uh, folks want to forget to to mourn and fight for the black women out here too, um, for the black femmes. But um, but how that poem not only not only finds Ayana, but also builds some builds a little bit of happy for um, is necessary. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Remind me of that there's a line in um, Summer Somewhere. Dinez, what's the line that's like here, like the world loves us back? Or do you know what it's like for? Oh, do you know what it's like to live someplace mm-hmm. that loves you back? I d- yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that it's mm-hmm. like, what is it also like, what is it like to build poems for people that love them back where the, you know, the environment of the poem also like loves them back too. Yeah. And I think, I think especially now it's, I'm just I'm so interested in complicating what what justice means, and you know, as someone who's not just a writer, um, but also someone who's like you know sometimes often thinking about things while on the ground. Um, a friend of mine and I were talking about justice, you know, in its most ethical and beautiful and radical sense. Um, can it be attained for people who are who have been killed by the state? Mm. You know, justice for Breonna Taylor you know, really means that we would live in a world that is dependent upon her living and staying alive and thriving. Mm. And and these sort of like movements that are happening in the wake of um, their untimely deaths, they're, they're, they're at the hands of the state. Can we achieve justice after we've, you know, we've lost them? And I think in, in that poem, I'm, I'm trying to if Ayanna Stanley Jones's name had to trend in a world that was actually filled with justice, like why? It would just be because she's beautiful. Mm. It would just be because she's a little girl who mm. had a snaggle to smile and was. Yeah. I want that to be enough. I want there, I want us to trend because we bomb mm. <laughs> and cute as hell and precious. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. <sighs> 
So is that a type of spiritual justice that maybe the poem is seeking that, you know, like if Ariel in the streets can't, you know, pull down an immediate or a tangible justice right away, then Ariel the poet can can strike up some type of spiritual, mm-hmm. surreal justice um, in the space of, of what the poem do? Yeah, I think po- poeming and organizing are both striving for the same thing. They're trying to imagine and then realize a world more radical and more free than the Mm -hmm. one we're in, Mm -hmm. at least my poems and my organizing. And so, yeah, if I'm out there and if I'm, if I'm, you know, in our communities and I can't, um, I can't bring home the W, (laughs) I can't, I can't Mm -hmm. quite yet get my hands around the thing we call justice, then, then I can write toward it, at least for now. And, and hope that, you know, the poems reach, reach that place first or, or, or the labor in our communities reaches that place first, for sure. Um, Ariel, what is moving you these days? I think I've had to, um, in this time of gathering and and <laughs> burrowing, <laughs> I think I've had to find smaller and smaller expresses of joy. Um, because for me, I'm. I mean, if you if you say Ariel, what brings you joy? I'm going to say uh, a good outfit, <laughs> a bomb application of makeup and sharing that good outfit and cute look out in the world with my homies, like doing something cute. And we can't be out in the world with our homies in the same way right now. Mm-hmm. So I've had to just like find the most minute parts of that. And I think what's moving me is all of the ways that I'm and other people are finding small and expansive mm. joy um, in this time of restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I mean, maybe I do put on an incredibly um, decadent outfit and a full face of makeup to sit on my couch and eat popcorn and watch Netflix. Oh, absolutely. Um, and also, <laughs> and sometimes it makes me feel both wildly ridiculous and wholly, wholly sane mm. at the same time. Um, and also maybe it's just like, you know, if I can't go play in a park or go for, you know, go in, and do things outside, if I can just like get some dirt under my nail with my plants, mm-hmm. I'm becoming a plant lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and how all of those things are um, expansive inside of restriction and uh, what what's possible when you look for look for places to expand Um that are new or different and maybe not making a poem out of it, but, but poeming in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. What does poeming look like divorce from the page? How do you know when you're like poeming in an experience? Ooh. I think um, I had such a strange and difficult at times and marvelously particular uh, experience writing um, my first mm-hmm. manuscript that because I was, you know, working so hard to try and do the thing on the page, I got really super obsessed with the perfect poem or the perfect iteration of a poem um, just because I wanted to say so much and say it so perfectly. Um, In the last, I don't know, year or so, um, ever since I um, walked away from the book deal, I've just been like, okay, well, what what happens in, in the just is? And I think it was you, Danette, who told me, like, you know, poem writing is more than just what happens when you sit mm-hmm. down to edit and when you sit down to, like, try and make a thing more, more better. <laughs> um, and and so I'm 
I'm honoring all of the lounging around for three days and not completing anything on my to-do mm. list as a part of the poeming. And maybe, maybe that's a part of my, like, radical praxis, mm. too, of, like, being Black and in the world. Maybe it's also, like, you know, <laughs> it's July 2020 and it feels like a dumpster fire outside. And so I am, this moment is protected and mm. precious. Mm. And, and maybe it'll be a poem mm. later. Um, but right now it just is. Yeah, you kind of know you're within the poem, right? In a way, like... I'm yeah, because I've been thinking about that. I've been, especially like you know, with stuff going on in Minneapolis. I think the one like I, I I don't know what the poem is, but I know it's called "There Was No Poetry." That's all. Like every time I sit down to write, I'm like, that's <laughs> yeah. the only thing I come back to because I'm like, and it feels more like um, I like where you're what you're saying about like sort of um the experience itself being the poem, right? Because I do feel and I don't know if this is what you're saying but I kind of feel like I'm in this moment where I'm like foraging the moment foraging through the experience still trying to collect because I know what happened one day you know and so now I'm like okay my job is to like be here and collect (laughs) you know and so so that way one day I can sit down and that that uh, that too is part of poeming part of the process you know and I see so many of my friends being super articulate about what's going on and and writing these really beautiful things, essays. Uh, I've got a friend, Deshaun Harrison, who's just brilliant and is able to sort of pull from the ether um, these big and juicy ideas and and write them so beautifully. And I'm just like, okay, and I'm on the couch. <laughs> I I was, you know, working bail support for three days and now I can mm-hmm. do nothing. And I think, you know, 2019 L who wanted to like write the perfect poem and perfectly edit would be like, um, we have things to write because we have things to say. And right now I'm just like, okay, maybe, but it'll happen when it happens. And it's not gonna happen while I'm watching soft ass the heat. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the context of the America in which we live, like, in some ways, isn't, like, being non-productive, like, non-useful to, like, the mechanisms of America. I don't think that it's totally hyperbolic to say, like, that's, like, a resistive act, you know? Or it makes me think about, like, that line of that Auden poem, poetry makes nothing happen, period. It survives. And, like, what does it mean to kind of, like, embody that spirit in the way we move as poets too. Like sometimes we make nothing happen and we're just surviving. And I think that that's like, that's like incredibly powerful too, given the stakes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It also makes me think of of like um, in The Handmaid's Tale, in the book, there are all these moments where like the protagonist in that book is not really like a hero, you know? Mm -hmm. She's really just trying to survive in like, the tiniest and like resist in the tiniest ways possible for so much of that book the way that resistance happens is that she like looks at a flower for a little bit and like looks away from where she's supposed to be looking and like looks at something beautiful and like savors it and then like comes back you know I don't know I think that like those small moments of finding joy in the senses in some ways that's some of the most powerful resistance that we can do I think I know that I sound like a woo-woo white woman right now. I know it. <laughs> no, I know it. No. I recognize it. But it's how I, it's who I, it's a part of me. <laughs> no, and it, I think I think what I was just thinking is like, and that also is uh, very much 
it leans on and, and maybe even calls on like positionality too mm-hmm. and sort of like, I mean, in the same way that poetry does, right? The position of the writer is an important context for the poem that we're being given. And I think it's the same way with these moments of joy, um, these moments of resistance. Like, I mean, maybe, you know, for a cisgendered, heterosexual, you know, making the 200K to 600K bracket sort of thing of, you know, maybe that white guy, you know, looking at a flower might not be. <laughs> In the state of face of state violence, maybe that's not your resistance, boo. Maybe you got a little bit more toil. I need a little more. I need a little bit more elbow grease from you, because um, that flower is you, you know that's not your, your ministry. Flower. Uh, <laughs> you didn't earn your flower, um, but oh, wow. but but for other folks who have who who have been and are always in a a more um, uh, fricative position to the state. You know, mm. that's my word, Denise. <laughs> fricative. Uh, it's one of my faves. Wow. It's Isn't one it of my faves. Um, who are in it's a more... So, that so it's good. Just, Ooh. It's like a little joy right there, just the word <laughs> itself. I feel like Ross Gay now. <laughs> um, but yeah, who are in a more fric- fricative position to the state, that flower is everything. Mm. That mm. flower is theory and praxis and, and, and looking at it for a moment instead of you know, productivity instead of sacrificing, you know, time and, mm-hmm. and, and capacity. That is, that is the work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd love to look mm-hmm. at a flower right now. <laughs> go, you should go make sure you go look at a flower. And I'm, cause I'm glad you're not writing too. And we're talking about Franny. I don't think you're being too much of a old white woman, but I think, um, no, but I think there you. is a, there's Appreciate a power that. too. <laughs> You know, even within like the like, you know, poetry industrial complex of of denying being the witness or or the witness that's ready to respond, mm. you know? Mm. I think about that every Wait, what do you mean by that? I mean, I'm thinking about the submission calls that have came and that are to come, you know. And um, so, yeah, you know, there yeah. is this okay, um, you know, two months in a coronavirus, you know, it's a journal checking it. And not not it's not always, you know, from some evil place, but it is sort of folks saying, like, hey poets, what have you thought about corona so far? Send us your poems, you know. And there's this pressure. Oh my um, God, yeah. I think yeah. we can put on ourselves that it's like I I always have to be crystallizing an experience that I'm still swimming in. Uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, when it actually might be, you might actually still be within the shits. And I think it also um, denies the power in supporting the writing of others in a way, right? Where it's just like, or maybe I feel power in that, mm. I'm released from that question of knowing that like, I actually don't have to have all the poems for the moment right now because somebody else does, you know? And I trust that there's enough writing writers in the world and that somebody is feeling that push and that urgency to get that work done. That is a kind of solidarity too, that like somebody else is cataloging while I get to step away and put my energy Mm -hmm. somewhere else. And also like, I'm going to actually reject the idea that like poets sort of speak up automatically. And I'm I'm grateful for folks who can do that when they can, because that has also been me ready sort of with that urgency of the poem in, in certain times, but not now. Not now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ariel, is it, do you find that, that like the timeline is different between having to say something coherent, like in your work as an activist and an organizer versus like having to say something as a poet or like, cause I feel like as folks who are like involved in like political organizing, often like a thing happens and like the next day it's like press release. Here's how that, that thing like relates to like the campaign that we're working on or something like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. How are those worlds different? I think it depends. There are a lot of uh, schools of thought and a lot of um, disciplines to pull from across the racial justice spectrum. Um, and I think that I try to be um, where the people are. Mm-hmm. And so my, my, 
hope as an organizer is to always um, respond with the criticality and the urgency that, you know, the folks most proximate to, you know, whatever state violence is at hand or whatever issue is at hand are, you know, are asking for, are moving with. And sometimes that is overnight. <laughs> you know, um, I'm thinking about when Rayshard Brooks was killed in Atlanta. And that night, people were at the Wendy's that night. And I had plans, right? Like, I was supposed to be, uh, you know, on the land and um, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, just kind of hanging out. And and I, you know, of course, like, took some time, took took a couple hours to to myself because we had, we had been working so hard and I was already so fatigued. Mm. And then also... Um, you know, we made the decision to come back a little early because that it was time to go. Sometimes it's just that rapid. And then sometimes, you know, I'm like, oh, this is, we should do this. And it's, you know, this um, ordinance is about to be voted on in um, Atlanta City Council. Let's go do that. And folks on the, you know, the community is like, me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, great. Well, I can, you know, maybe like sit on this for two months. That's cool. All right, cool, fine. <laughs> um, and with, I think with poems, it's different because the engine is me. And mm. I, the the pressure I feel is um, is internal, and that's something that I have to check with myself, and that's something I'm trying to unlearn, right? Like the, this sort of like a machine of productivity, and sort of like trying to unlearn um, when I need to speak and when I need to be the one to say something or or to write towards something, mm. and if the if the poetic impulse is because I feel accountable to my folks or to the uh, the pen or the page, or if I feel uh, afraid to not say something, or if I feel like I'll be left behind or I don't know, something that doesn't need my immediacy. Hmm. You said like accountability to the pen or the page, which I think is like, that's super interesting. What does that mean to be accountable to the page? You mean like responsible to the craft? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Or, or to... Or to, um, I mean, to be honest about how I write, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my job is as a poet and why do I want to write and how do I want my work to live in the world? And does that intention, does that desire require me to be saying something or writing mm-hmm. something? Um, and maybe, and maybe that's too egotistical, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's, maybe I'm thinking too soon about my, I don't know, not legacy, but my sort of like, bird's eye view of my work as a writer. But it, I, I think of my writing so married to my political work that I'm like, okay, well, if I'm organizing about it, should I be writing about it? Do I get to sit down? Do I get to leave this idea alone? Um, can I circle back? Or is it as urgent as it is for me to be out um, on the streets right now? Is it is it, is the urgency the same? Maybe I am asking the same question that you are. Maybe <laughs> I'm trying to answer it. But honestly, the question is, mm, I'm thinking about that too. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, for sure. If, if the urgency is the same and if the, if the urgency that I feel and the accountability that I feel um, to my folks and to my community Community is the same urgency that I need to be responding to um, on the page. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, you know, just you know, want to say that I have. Uh, I might say things that I disagree with as soon as this goes live. <laughs> For sure, I'm chewing through all these big picture things and and thinking about. Um, production and work and toil right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like reading a lot and arguing in my head a lot and arguing with friends a lot about the, the the responsibility of a Black 
poet, the responsibility of a Black writer, and the responsibility of a Black organizer. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every day my mind is changing about what I'm actually responsible for or what I'm actually excited about versus what has been drilled into me or what has been taught to me or what what discipline I've been trained under and, and how to challenge and to trouble the water of those values in my work as a poet and in my writing. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know, I don't know what I don't know yet. So which things do you find yourself pushing up against though? Hmm. I think I've always bumped up against the um form. And we've talked about we've had long conversations, uh, Denez, about my my beef. I got beef with form. <laughs> um <laughs> you seem like you like <laughs> it. I'm gonna say beef. that. <laughs> I know I was going and, and you know, for someone who started this thing off with a pantoon, you know. Maybe so. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think about, and maybe I'm, maybe it's not form itself, but how form is taught um, most often. And for me, as someone who's thinking critically all the time, and maybe even a little annoyingly all the time about race theory and and you know academia, I'm like, well, this is just another way to tell folks from outside academia how not to write and what they can't say. Um, But form doesn't have to be that. So maybe my beef is actually with how we are taught Mm. form and our poetic emphasy. Because when Nabila Lovelace told me that something that I wrote the other day was a sonnet, I was like, bitch, you lying. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you are lying. There's so many accidental sonnets Um, in the world. So many, so many. Wait, wait, was your reaction like, oh, great. I accidentally wrote a sonnet. Or was it like, Fuck you! This isn't a sonnet. They're like, fuck this sonnet. No, sonnet. no. It was like, it, it was like, I don't write sonnets. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. Like everybody writes sonnets. Right. I know. Like, literally, I'm yes, trying to find a way to yes. put my eyes against the microphone so y'all can hear them roll. Because <laughs> I've had Ariel in several workshops, and I feel like at some point they have leaped across to me and said, "I'm gonna write a crown." Of <laughs> <laughs> But I feel you. I feel you. I feel you having the beef with the pedagogy of our own form, though, because I don't think that we are sort of offered, especially what black folks in the canon have offered to form, right? Um, Some of the baddest ones up in that mug uh, doing the formal things. And it is taught um, in this sort of, I don't know if I want to, I want to say everybody. I feel like if you're really teaching form right, you're teaching like this controlled way to like talk about the like wildness and chaos that can happen in the poem, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. If you're doing it wrong, it feels stringent, you know, it feels wiped down and, and too bare um, when it should feel kind of funky, you know, should feel kind of dirty. <laughs> and that bareness, I think, is prioritized maybe in us in some way in the way that the pedagogy mm-hmm. is applied. Like it feels like we should be learning um, and applying form to contain and control the chaos. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm, that's not black. <laughs> um, and of course, my mind changes about form when I am introduced to it and sucked up into the world of. Black poetics, um, because it gives me, and, and brown poetics, because it gives me a school of thought that is embracing and inviting in mm. the wild and giving it a place to sort of like marinate and 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 really just grow fatty and thick and luscious <laughs> instead of like putting put in the wild and chaos on a diet and being like, mm-hmm, the diet is seven lines, <laughs> seven stanzas, uh, which I just can't, you know, I just really can't get out with. Um, yeah, I think it's the battle of the 
pedagogies and, and who we give permission to like go out in search of the wild. Hmm. I think that it's like such an amazing challenge to say, here's like an incredibly stringent and restrictive place. Like be as wild as you can, Mm. like be as imaginative and luscious as you can. Like that feels like a lesson that one can apply to many different situations, Mm -hmm. you know, like, (laughs) can you make the most incredible thing with the barest bones and most rules trying to constrict your freedom? That sounds Sounds very of color. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here, here are limited here's resources. Here's the worst part of... Right, right. Here's the worst part of the animal. Make the most delicious thing you can, you know? And then it's like, mm, oxtail, delicious. Incredibly delicious. Yeah, incredibly so. <laughs> I hear some people like shitlins, not myself, but... Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna turn my face away from no. the plate if you get if you make me a plate no. of chitlins. You know, and chitlins are like villanelles. I'll try it. I'll try it. Once. <laughs> I'll try it. You gotta have the right sauce. Yeah, that is a villanelle. Chitlinelle. You gotta have a good mm-hmm. sauce. Sorry, <laughs> chitlinelle. I'm sorry, chitlinelle. Don't be no, sorry. So thank you, thank you, Ariel. <laughs> but sometimes I think that I don't actually need the encouragement to make terrible puns. But I um, appreciate y'all got the wrong person in. I'm like, yes, <laughs> do that. Do it again. <laughs> um, cool. Where do we want to go next? Well, I'm wondering maybe um, if we could hop back. We were talking about um, what the poet self and the activist self learn from each other. I'm wondering um, how both of those inform how you move as a literary citizen, right? The thing about this like current uprising and reckoning is that everybody could get it, right? <laughs> you know, yes. for like really whatever angle. So it's just like we dismantling police Absolutely. brutality and a you know uh, poetry foundation. What's up with them? You know, what's up with them uh, resumes? We need them, you know, shredded. What's up? Um, and you know i think sometimes there is a um beautiful and true and at other times conflated relationship between like poetry and i guess like being a good person or being like you know an activist and all that kind of stuff (laughs) um i don't know you are somebody who i look up to both on the page and like in these streets you know you're somebody that is quick and unquestioning to like get to the good (laughs) no matter the venue that that Mm. you're that you're moving in um and so i guess i'm wondering how that helps you move throughout like the poe biz too um and what do you see as some necessary questions that the poetry community maybe needs to ask itself um, in this critical moment where it seems like we have an opportunity um, to ask ourselves some hard questions and grow from mm. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for all of those things. And also, I think, um, I don't know who did it first, poet self or and or <laughs> activist self, me, are ever in love with my own sense of audacity. Mm-hmm. And just like, I, I just so love that I ain't scared of nobody. <laughs> These hands, poetically and activistically, are rated E for every single body. So, as a as a as a writer, I think that that kind of is is a cool. I don't know. Can audacity be a tool in a poem? Sure, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, a cool a cool tool to um, to to lean into um, as a literary citizen. That audacity is employed by uh, me just wanting to create spaces where Black poets and brown poets can do what the Mm. fuck we want. My wanting to do uh, the quarantine reading series was just because I was like, you know, 
Black poets and brown poets are not making money right now. And sure, there are other people not making money, but, you know, we know statistically that these are the communities that are most critically impacted. And guess what? White folks who have access to um, visibility and also money can create some exchanges here. And I also just want to see my friends read poems since I couldn't do it in person. Mm -hmm. And so now we have a poetry series where poets at all different levels of their career are kind of coming together and reading and um, also getting paid because we deserve that. Um, And what was the other part of your question, Inez? I'm so wrapped up in the fact that you're telling me that you love me. I'm like, what did you say to me? I think I was just asking... um, The second part actually was just like, what kind of questions do you think the poetry sort of, I don't know, I, I, the poetry community, the poetry world, the poetry, yeah, the poetry world needs to ask itself right now at this like critical juncture. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the hugest questions that I, I charge any institution, um, any like league of institutions to to question is uh, where are we hoarding power and how can that power be distributed? Mm-hmm. Who is restricted? Um, from this place where we hoard power and 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 how um, can we not only invite them in because I think that's some flawed shit mm. <laughs> to just hold power and to conduct power and choreograph it in a specific way and then invite people that have been restricted to come in and partake with you. I think that's mm. wild. Um, what is more valuable to me is where and how and uh, how quickly can I see mm. power and return the resources that I have um, utilized and benefited from and the funds that have come with those resources, those creative resources to not only their rightful owners, but to the communities who I owe. Mm. And I think a lot of organizations get to the first question, which is where is the power? And then they stop at can I invite people mm. in and not, can I, can I exit this can place? Can I share my power, power without relinquishing it? Right. 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 And you can't when you, especially when you are a part of a, a community or an institution that um, has benefited. And if you're in the, you know, if you're in the U S issue, if you've benefited from um, anti-blackness, um, anti-indigeneity, um, anti-brownness and, and the systems that uh, thrive on those three things, then you can't, it, it's not possible to um, share power and, and it still be, you know, for you and for these communities that you have manipulated and, and benefited from. It, it, there are so many organizations, so many places um, right now um, that are having these huge shifts because I think people are demanding that folks make good on this promise of equity. And the promise of equity means that the power that benefited at the expense of Black and brown people is is returned to them. And that also means the Poetry Foundation. That also means, you know, I think we think so often that poetry is a squeaky clean, beautiful, inherently social justice thing. Ah. And it's not. Oh, <laughs> it's oh my not. God, no. And by that... <laughs> <laughs> and um and I think that like there's something about like maybe it's because it's liberal arts I don't know and that that we're just like well we're in this place mm. and because we're engaging in poetry we're doing the mm-hmm. thing um and no the poetry is not the praxis um and the praxis is in the literary institutions it's in the the literary spaces um who's being invited to lead them who's being invited to um critique them all of that is the praxis of of mm-hmm. of power and of inequity and seed that shit <laughs> give it over <laughs> give it up and be free <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the content of the poems themselves. It's not just like writing anti-racist poems. It's like 
fighting to make sure that like the, all of the structures that put that poem into ha- the hands of people are anti-racist in their structures. Mm. Right. And it's even like uh, I'm thinking about the prestige of journals that, you know, are the prestigious partly because they're not accessible and and how that's, you know, and I'm thinking about who gets invited to be uh, a employee who gets to teach poetry and poetics mm-hmm. um, and, and just so many places where um, folks who are in positions of power, especially white folks in this in this current political moment, have to ask themselves that troubling question, which is where am I or the institution I'm a part of hoarding power and where can we see that? And I think the, the, the largest responsibility of social movements is to reveal to those who are in power or to demand of those in power where that hoarding is happening and, and how they can turn it over, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, a part of, you know, the letter that the Poetry Foundation got. It's, uh, you know, people in Minneapolis mm-hmm. burning up the police station, baby. <laughs> and <laughs> and so many places where um, I think the belief is that if if you can't see where you're hoarding power, or if you refuse to see more more appropriately, um, and if you won't uh, turn it over, then let me, let mm-hmm. me help you see. Let me show you. <laughs> I'll hold your hand. <laughs> it's true that it seems like for so like so often it seems like just hard to see when you're hoarding power, you know, like for like those who are, I don't know, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like so often the people who are hoarding power need help understanding. Um, And I've like run into this in the situations in which it turned out I was hoarding power. And I was like, wait, 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 I'm just here trying to like be part of the team. I'm just like in the group. But it turned out that I was like, holding on to something and and needed other people to see it like why is it so hard what is it that keeps people from understanding the power that they have this is a huge question i'm sorry <laughs> comfort right i mean if all of you have ever had was power it, it doesn't feel strange to have it you know and if you had barriers to power shit it feels good to then have it right and so <laughs> um even a little bit of it um oh my God, yeah. and, and you know and i think like folks who like don't have power are really, you know, are better at questioning it, you know, at some point earlier in that process, right? Uh, with the wee bit of power you might have. I think also a thing that we like to do, and I think, right, a lot of Americans do this, where we identify down. So the second you actually like get a little bit of power, the the finish line actually just moves. And so now your line for too much keeps on getting further and further ahead of you the more that you amass, um, as long as there's sort of like the imaginative somebody else who has more, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the especially if there isn't an intentional sort of like reckoning with what the end goal is, then it's like, oh, I just I'm I'm I want more of what mm-hmm. you have. I don't think that that's um, gonna lead to anybody being free. Is getting more of what is mm-hmm. over there. I think as we challenge um, folks who are hoarding power, I think that the dispersal of that power is essential to liberation, freedom, Mm -hmm. equity, and, you know, justice for all. Um, Because then we're just kind of like forever shifting little hordes, right? Like forever just like changing the hands of who has um, the power to uh, destroy or um, align another another community. And so, yeah, I think you're right, Denez, that it, you know, based on the social and cultural norm that we have now, once you get a little bit, it's like, oh, and now I want more of what you got or now I want I want you you still have more than me but you know let me let me be quiet for somebody call me a socialist and try to you know (laughs) 
come from me on Twitter. Well, no, you're right. You know, because the dangerous question is asking yourself, right? Like, right, you can't frame it as as long as like I, the individual, have a little bit more of what I'm not supposed to have, then you know we're all doing all right. And you know mm-hmm. the 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 questions to ask are the really hard questions because they're not about easy shifts, right? They're about like complete radical things, which is like, how do I imagine legit something yeah. new, right? Um, because me succeeding yes, in this standing yes. system does not actually change the system that we decided was fucked up or that we know is fucked up, you know? I don't actually want to win here. I actually just want to like focus on like getting some other shit going. <laughs> yeah. And that's how poeming and organizing are, for me, two parts of a same thing hmm. in that poems and the work of grassroots organizers uh, are both trying to imagine something impossible to conceive right now where we are. Um, Because I don't know what freedom is. I just know what it isn't. And this poem is trying to create a material and sensorial place for a thing that I don't have, that I don't know, and that I don't maybe even understand. Um, And in that way are both doing the work of creating little free bubbles for other, other wilder and more ridiculous and necessary things to be imagined and become possible. And maybe now I sound like the granola crunchy white no, woman. No, <laughs> you do not. You do not sound like the granola crunchy white woman. You do not. You sound like emergent strategy and like like the future of organizing and speculative yeah like you sound like a visionary organizer which i yeah feel like you are <laughs> i was oh, thank you i was even i was talking with some friends of mine um brilliant writers brilliant organizers my god i just don't even know how i am blessed enough to be friends with like hunter ashley shuckleford and and deshaun harrison and and other really dope people and we were talking about like is organizing itself going to get us free is writing going to get us free or is it just the modality that we are um using because it's what we know right now um and we were thinking about that because um of john lewis passing and how you know his legacy is a is a lot of of things for many different people um and folks who are organizing in this time period um, have a hard time, you know, relating to and, you know, having relationships with folks who were organizing in the 60s and 70s. And that's because what was possible and what was necessary then doesn't feel absolute to us now. And I had to realize that You know, my my critiques of, you know, wanting a seat at the table are only possible because somewhere, somehow, due to the toil of someone else, we have seen what it looks like to sit at the Mm. table. And so because of that, I am in some way maybe indebted to that work and also not separate from it. And so am I just a poet because, I don't know, we we haven't figured out the, like, kilographic... like ridiculousness that's coming uh, up ahead um and does the you know sort of like mode of my poem only exist now i'm just okay maybe i don't agree with myself now but but i think that that's why it's so important for us to be imagining the most audacious thing that we can so that the next generation can have a chance at finding something truly wild you know yeah, I was I was in a poetry class with some high school students and this young person just like wrote a poem that was just like color. It was just like different color. And that, there was no word in there that wasn't a color. And I was like, girl, what did you write? Also, 
This could be genius. <laughs> right. This either isn't a poem or it's the best poem I've ever read. <laughs> and I feel like young people do that to us a lot. Oh my God. <laughs> but, but I was like, oh, yeah, like your your mode makes sense to you. And cool. And you read a little, you read a little Audre Lorde, a little June. So you're like, well, I know what's next. And I'm like, do you? <laughs> she knows why that Curse Brave sings. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, that cage bird sign. And, and it sings about colors. <laughs> Red, mauve, pink, pink. Chartreuse, periwinkle, periwinkle, periwinkle. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> kind of love it, not going to lie. Kinda yeah, there. I was like, you freer to me. You freer to me. <laughs> I'm jealous. Um, so, Ariel, you had, you had mentioned it kind of briefly earlier in the conversation, but you um, had a book deal previously that uh, that you walked away from. Um, and I just want to say, like, as, like, you know, like, sort of, like, friend, big homie, like, I was very proud of you for how you handled that, just because I think it's a move that a lot of poets would be scared to make, mm. just because of how we hold the first book. And I think presses can sort of use that a lot of times to abuse poets sometimes, uh, or writers. Um, so as much as you want to, would you be down to, like, tell us about your experience with that situation and what you learned from it? Yeah, I think it leans a lot on, um, I was. this is what I was thinking about when, when you asked me that question about... Um, if the poet self is teaching the organizer self something, because hmm. the organizer self had to, I had to have a real nigga talk with myself about where I was compromising on my values as an organizer, as a person, because of my fears or my desires as a literary citizen who want, wants to be a poet taken seriously in the world. Um, yeah, I, I won a book prize. Um, I was super excited. I, very much in disbelief. And it was one of the very first things I had ever won um, on my own poetic merit. And I got the uh, first contract. And I remember talking with so many of my you know, friends who had book deals, had a, had a couple. Uh, as I think we talked to, and I was like, is this, what, what should I be looking for? What do I do? Because um, something doesn't feel right. And there were just so many things that as a young Black writer who was just kind of getting her feet wet, who hadn't, you know, been in a, in a, a part of other, pro, like an MFA program or anything like that. I was just like, there's so much I don't know. Mm. And there were just so many things missing that should have been included in that contract. Mm. And so I said no. Um, and maybe a year passes and um, the same press approached me better contract thing, things that I'd asked for that they were like nah girl we ain't giving you that it had and I was like okay well then let's, let's move forward let's let's do this I feel better but the the process was so heartbreakingly clear that I was a writer a black queer writer writing a book for black queer fems and girls with an ex and this publisher not only didn't have experience oh with God. Black writers, but had no value system, had no value system that accounted for um, Black writers. And I mean, I remember getting a couple of, of covers after we had gone through a very strange editing process where things like my addiction and stuff were kind of being called, <laughs> called edited and called into question. Where like, I got a cover that like, was red, black, and green like a watermelon. And I was like, no. And then I got another cover with like Trump's head exploding over my name. And Wait, I was what? like, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no. (laughs) When you think about when we were talking about institutional power, I was so afraid of sticking up for myself. Mm. And I was so afraid of being denied this thing that I thought you needed to be a serious, serious poet, um, which was a book. And I mean, thank God I had friends who were like, you are a bomb and you don't need this thing. I mean, that is how power works, right? You're just, you feel like whoever is in that sort of like um, authoritative role, whatever they say is appropriate. There's just such an overwhelming amount of influence that they have over like even how you think about yourself or how Mm -hmm. you see what's possible. And little organizer me was like, now, if this had been a nonprofit, mm. if this had been a, right. uh, somebody at a, a, in an educational institution, if this was any, t- any other place where I, where I was sure of my worth and my value, I would have been just <laughs> not even, it would never have gone this far, but, but I, you know, was just, I was so sad and just mm. so, I just wanted like you said, Danette, so much um, importance put on the first book. And with that, sort of like the the, the legitimacy that we give people who have access mm-hmm. to being published. And I had to walk away from it. I had to trust my writing. I had to trust myself. I had to trust my niggas, my community, who was like, yeah, it's going to be okay. Because I was like, it's not, though. <laughs> I'm never going to write again. And and just in my mirror, be like, you know how Issa Rae be talking to herself mm-hmm. on the show. I had to do, I had, I had a couple, a good week straight where it was just, good morning, me. You're a bad bitch. And you can send this email today. Before I was really able to send the email. Unfortunately, I mean, my email wasn't like, I'm out this bitch. My email was, hey, this is what I deserve. This is what writers who are putting out a first book deserve. Um, can we, mm-hmm. can we, can we make some amends? And they were like, well, what we're going to do is let you out of your book contract instead of giving you the things, the reasonable things that you asked for. Um, and I think that that's, that's all, of course, a part of this whole conversation. And I think that, you know, the responsibility is, is on folks at institutions like that to make sure that they are, you know, who, who, who are we bringing in and how do we let, let folks who are bringing in who are, especially when they're Black and Brown folks, LGBTQ folks, right? How do we shift the business as usual in the institution to make sure that their value is uniquely recognized. Mm -hmm. Ariel, I just want to say like all of that is 1,500% their loss. You know what I mean? All I think this means is that the world is now open for your poems to bless the next press that will have the vision and like fortitude to give you the space that you deserve. Mm. You know what I mean? That's complete 100% their loss. Yeah. Thank you. And I, and I, and also I think, um, you know, I just think that I, I want, it it has taught me and, and helped me understand that I want to be able to remind poets that we get to live out our work and, and, and allow our work in spaces that, affirm and double down on the things that we believe in. Yes. That's a part of all of this, you know, like small and large iterations of resistance too, that, you know, if if there's a journal that is not upholding the values or if there's a, you know, a place that wants to publish my work that doesn't 
live out the the things that are important to me, I can, it's okay for me to say, and, and not maybe even important and necessary for me to say no, so that there are, there's a, there's that much more pressure um, for any little, you know, Ariel's one little baby person, mm-hmm. but if folks are choosing um, spaces based on what we, what, what we believe in, what we affirm and what we want to see in, in the world, then um, it shifts who are the decision makers of, of the culture of the literary terrain yeah so now we come to a little segment we like to call fast punch we are poets and we could have named this anything but we called it fast punch um and in (laughs) fast punch um aria we are going to give you 10 categories and you are going to tell us uh well you get a choice you can either be a pessimist or optimist um so you can tell us like the 10 best things in those categories or the 10 worst things in that category it'd be like food toppings or like like poetic forms so who you want to you want to do the best or the worst of stuff today let's do the best of stuff we've talked about so much of the worst of our world let's do the best great i love it all right ariel i want you to tell me the best Place to read. Mm, in the bathtub. Uh, best popsicle flavor. Oh my god! Um, watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> best thing with cheese. Ooh. Itself. <laughs> um, best U.S. city to spend a weekend in. New Orleans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, best uh, weather phenomena in a poem. Ooh. Mm. Tornado. Ooh. Um, best girl or boy band? <laughs> the Cheetah Girls. It's amazing. <laughs> um, best line you wish you'd written? Mm. Oh, man. Can I go read it? Wait. You got it? <laughs> <laughs> this is the behind the scenes. Poets grabbing from their libraries live on the podcast. I love no, this at home no. version of Bro don't save me. I don't want to be saved. I've been died laughing before. Been seeing God's face and you have her teeth, my nigga. Aw, I love you. <laughs> okay, last one is best protest chant. Mm. Ella Baker was a freedom fighter and she taught me how to fight. Say what? We gonna fight all day and night until we get it right. Which side are you on, my people? Which side are you on? We on the freedom side. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Ariel. Look out so for great. the rap career. That was great. Thank you. Wow, I'm wow. coming. I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, okay. So now we're going to play This Versus That, which is a game we play every episode of the show, uh, where we'll put two things, uh, concepts, metaphysical objects in two different corners, uh, and you have to tell us which would win in a fight. So for this round of This Versus That, we have in this corner form Mm. and in that corner we have protest which would win in a fight ding 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 i don't know what i mean by that (laughs) (laughs) uh i think wow okay so the form we've already discovered today is contained and wild it's containing wildness and chaos and the protest the protest is wildness and chaos Mm -hmm. but it also is uh, but it is organized, you know, too. Something it's organized, it's organized. yeah. No, oh it's goodness. organized. Oh my god, what is it allowed that 
that the that the things in opposite corners morph into a crystal gem. <laughs> wow, wait, I love because it. They, they were, just become they touch and become one. They touch and become one because they're they're like, we're the same. We're gonna power up and body these bitches. Wow. <laughs> wow. They just become a crystal gem of your poetics. Yes. It's just like great. is it Ariel? <laughs> <laughs> No, okay. If, if there, but if, if there is a winner, I, I, I've got to. I mean, I got to ride for my team. I really feel like the protest will win, but just only because the form has set rules that you can trouble. But the the the, the protest is uh, it's endless. It's gonna it's gonna do what it wants, and also its rules are um, an ever evolving strategy. Wow. So you you don't know what's happening next. That's such a beautiful answer. And I also love the version of the answer where you say, oh, then this versus that, I win. Yeah. And it's very, it's very Crystal Gems too, though, that like what you walk away from the fight with is self-confidence and a new friend and like togetherness. And yes. like, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very Steven's universe. You walk away with, with a lesson, very mm-hmm. a lesson and a song yeah. in your heart. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ariel, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Um, where can people find more of your work? Yeah, um, I can be found um, ranting about things and taking uh, strange pictures on uh, Twitter and Instagram at YesRiel. And then, you know, of course, uh, my uh, list of published places. And if you want to learn more about like things that are happening in the future, um, you can, of course, go to arielmarie.com. Yeah, I'm super excited about some projects that I'm working on in um, in the next couple of months. So stay tuned. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, will you close us out with uh, a poem? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Franny and Dines, so much for having me and, and having this conversation about all the things I love. It's been fun. Yay. At the Pussy March, the women were bitches. My bitches marched, some without pussies. Some of my bitches ain't. Just like that. I, she bitch, birthed megaphones. The women held their purses in the down bin of their mouths. Away from us, they kept the children and the keys to the city. Their pussies fists, clothes and their backs turned, refusing to meet our eyes. All the names they shouted were our names. All the girls they chanted was our girls. Mercedes successful, a Tatiana, Maya, Sandra, Ayana Stanley's sweet seven-year-old body, Kia Boy and her skull hole, Tanisha, Shelly Frey, Alexia Christian, her hands with more wounds than a certain messiah, Natasha McKenna, Tarika Wilson, Kayla Moore, Melissa Williams, Miriam Carey. We sang Chantel Davis like an aria and Kendra James too. Duana Johnson's we whispered like a secret and oh, our girls, our girls, our girls, our girls, our girls, our girls, ours, ours hours. Despite them singing us out like war songs, they treated us like paupers. Their money, our blood, they knit and we bled. They chanted and our bodies stretched for miles, foot by hand. I ain't said it yet, but the mouth is a scythe. I ain't gonna tell you how, but I break what English can't ever repair into a slice of thunder. I bees myself, then I bees a net of small blades. 
I have only my two hands, bloodied into they raw, marrow my hands, mirror hands, stethoscope, sutcher hands, and particular structures. I am broken and praise my sisters have broken me open. For us, there is no wrong cure, just these hands, just us holding bodies we own, our mouths like ironsmiths, melding us a world of glass and bone and sassafras, and then of course the boat to reach it. My sisters who break me open, born spine shutter, born wild, born dead, the black girl born bullet scissor, born throat thread, cis spun, she ain't black girl is, but in fact dead grout, is ghoul grit, is iron butter, oak stain and unhung, is four years old, is is too young for the dead, is too live for the now. And this is how I know my sisters cherish me into the deep, deep. I cannot get out of bed and still the crows are outside my window, cloud bruised and trying to find something for my hand to ruin after the call you ain't never supposed to get and you got twice. I am a Bible filled with stories of sacrifice and no salvation and my sisters still hold me sun sap, still hold me syrup slick, sinner salve, honey chow snake blood, young liquor, new drunk, and child whiskey, and child whiskey too. And this is a freedom song, and this too a freedom song. I know not why a cage thing would ever say my name. This here is a freedom song. I know not why a cage thing would freedom song me. This here a freedom, this here freedom, this here a freedom song, and I know not why. And I know not why. I know not a cage thing. I know not my name. That was Ariel. That was Ariel. Um, that last poem really just blew me away. It blew me into a thousand pieces. <laughs> Ari, yeah, Ariel's just like really special. I don't know. There's like a there's like a blessedness to it, you know, to like the like clarity of like thought and spirit and like you know everything. Um, I also especially feel really grateful for the things that they were saying about walking away from the deal with the publisher which can be such a scary thing to do to like walk away from an opportunity and an opportunity to like feel a little bit secure at the at the expense of like other kinds of security like security in one's like person or in one's values and stuff mm-hmm. um Dennis do you have do you have like a thing like that that you walked away from that you said no to and that in hindsight was a good decision no, but I can think of a time I should have. Okay, uh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, in hindsight, think, would have been a good decision. In hindsight, would have been. Um, <laughs> you know, I won't get into it too much, but there was a project that I did where, in hindsight, I think as excited as I was for it and as, like, it was great because I, like, had this thing, right? Um, but the bad part of it was I think it, it actually helped validate um, a company that I should not have aligned myself so quickly to was actually very mm. critical of. Um, and yeah, and so I, I think that with um, with a little bit more age and hindsight and maybe slowness, um, I would have had a different conversation with myself. I would have, you know, I wish I could like actually just go talk to like my mid-20 self and be like, hey, boo, like you don't actually need to say yes to that thing, um, mm. even if it will go on to do a lot of good, like 
um, be firm, that you can stand firmly in your ground about what you believe in and who you are proud to walk alongside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a lesson that I, it took me a little too long to come to, um, mm-hmm. that there should not only be a pride in your work, but a great pride in who you do that work with. Um, and that it shouldn't just be like, well, I'm doing it, you know, like, well, I'm happy enough to like have it out there. So, okay, I'll bite the bullet and work with these folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it should but really also, be- that's hard when you don't Ooh. have a lot of opportunities opportunities especially or like if Truly. you perceive yourself as not having opportunities you know which is why I think what Ariel did is so hard and heroic and like at the time I didn't know I, I really had the space to make that decision because I felt right. like I had to make this decision that was about my future which was about taking this thing and running with it mm-hmm. it's one of those things that you can only learn from hindsight and that you just like pass on to people under you because you wish you could have done different I wish I would have walked a little longer in that decision if even just to feel better about it now Hmm. Yeah. Where are you at with um with um your no growth? I mean, I think that the one thing that I can think of is um a job that I like decided not to continue for another year after my first mm-hmm. year of it because even though there was like a bit of stability in having this like monthly, you know, this this regular paycheck, the work that I really wanted to do was art and organizing and even though this job aligned with a lot of my values it was just taking me away from this stuff that I really was really passionate about you know that like got me out of bed in the morning Hmm. I had to make an active choice to believe that I would be okay you know Hmm. what you're saying and what Ariel was saying I think it's reframing the leap of faith for me like I think we always think about the leap of faith of being like going from this place of you've been journeying to the space that you now got to like jump and make this like to this new possibility. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes the leap of faith is actually the leap back to the road and knowing Mm -hmm. that the journey continues on a little bit. Right. So like it is a leap of faith to jump out of the book contract. It's a leap of faith to leave the job and say, I know that um, whoever is helping me order these steps, even if that's just me is going to be all right for a little bit. So amen for, amen for like the jump back too. Right, right, right. It's something that I think that we have to continually do and continually recalibrate for ourselves at every point because there will always be leaps of faith and there will always be points that we have to refocus. So, hey, man, well, let's um, leap on out this episode and do some (laughs) stuff. Um, Let's see, let's do some thank yous. I would like Queen of Tiny Transitions. Tiny Transitions. That's 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 my that's my drag name. All right, uh, let's do some thank yous. I would like to thank everybody who wears their mask. Um, At the time of this recording, it is late July, and a lot of y'all here in Minnesota, at least, are acting like it's just regular flu season or something like that again. And I would like to remind you that it is still a pandemic and that many of us are vulnerable ourselves and we have vulnerable people in our lives. And so just because we are sick of corona as Americans doesn't mean that it's over as a globe. Um, And so I'm just really thankful whenever I like and walking or like biking or something like that and I see somebody out with, with their mask on I want to reach out and touch their hand from six feet away and say <laughs> thank you my sister for making sure that me and my grandma and all the folks you know stay alive so that's it thank you for wearing your mask keep going that was really nice Denise I just want to thank Joanne Fabrics for <gasps> um, what a, a real me. bitch <laughs> <laughs> supplying people everywhere with um, cheap accessible ish 
fabrics to sew masks and give tutorials and also so that I can um, hoard uh, sewing supplies that I will never use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Joanne. I get my notebooks from Joanne Fabrics, girl. This notebook right here, girl. Solid. $5. Okay. Good paper stock. Okay. You hear me? You hear me? I'm writing on canvas, bitch. You hear me? <laughs> Joanne hooked that up. No, wait. That's this actually might have been my good bitch, Michael. I was going to say, that sounds like a Michael, not Joanne. I mean, Michael is great, too. We love Michael. I fucks with both of them. I fucks with Michael and Joanne. They're a good family. They're solid. They're a solid couple. <laughs> We'd also like to thank Idalmi Noriega and Isabel Blancas at the Poetry Foundation. Thank you to our producer, Daniel Kisslinger, as always, always and forever. Um, thank you to you, our listeners. Thank you to Post Loudness. And yeah, thank you to all of you for continuing to listen to us. If you want to like, rate, or subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be great. And we thank you so. Also, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it is at VS the Podcast. If you want to see us in person, you you can put on your mask and meet us at your local Joanne Fabrics. And with that, we are going to get on out of here. Thank you, y'all. We'll see you in another two weeks with another interview with your new favorite poet. Bye. Bye. <laughs>